Rick Holm, our Prairie Doc, is unable to be with us today, so I'm happy to welcome Andrew Ellsworth, a family medicine physician with the Avira Medical Group Brookings. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning, Joan. Now, I know you have a medical student with you. Who does not want to be interviewed, but we will mention that Kelsey Cook is here and she's a fourth year med student. We just have to say hello to you, Kelsey. Good morning. Pleasure Good. to be here. Well, we're so happy to hear you. Have, you. have you enjoyed working with Dr. Ellsworth? I have. It's been quite a variety. Good. And you really don't want to be on this, do you? So I we're going to let you sit in the background. I would prefer I, to listen. Thank I, you. She had no idea she was going to be on the radio today. Yeah. Well, you know, Dr. Holm does that, so I had to do a little bit of it. Yeah. You know, he'll bring <laughs> students in here, and they have no idea they're going to talk, and he'll talk to them for 10 minutes, and they have to answer all these questions they'd rather not. <laughs> but we'll just let Kelsey work with you on your regular hours sure. and leave her alone during this. But, uh, you know, I know we talked about doing this program and you were very interested in screening tests, particularly one, but I thought before we get to the one test you're interested in, why don't you tell us what medical screenings are? Well, the whole idea bef behind screening is uh, to take someone who's not having any problems really, but to, to do some tests to try to find cancer before it maybe even becomes a cancer or catch it early so something can be done about it so that way it won't uh, disrupt someone's life and being diagnosed later. And that's the reason women, would a mammogram be considered exactly. a screening? Women so we get got mammograms? Mammograms and breast exams for breast cancer screening. We've got the colonoscopy for colon cancer screening. The evidence behind that is wonderful. Um, you have pap smears for cervical cancer and, and thankfully that's been a big success too. Okay, and there's one specifically for men. For men, yeah, we have the men have prostates, and uh, the the prostate is a small organ the size about of a chestnut, sits just below the bladder, and uh, and uh, it it uh, naturally gets bigger over time, and it can develop a cancer, prostate cancer, and so we'll. I'll be wanting to talk more about, about okay. that. Well, you know, this will be an interesting discussion on PSAs, prostate screening exams, and um, what I think we should do is take our first break, and then we can really get into this discussion. We'll be back right after these words. Hi, we don't often take a break really the first two minutes into the program, but I thought it was good because I know Dr. Ellsworth is really interested in the PSA screening and to talk about screenings first so people know why, why you're screened because you're trying to prevent a disease from, yeah. or if the disease is there before any symptoms show up. Right. Yeah, I, I wanted to focus on prostate cancer screening today because it, it doesn't get as much talk and it really needs a lot of education because it, it's not one that we recommend necessarily everyone for sure have. Um, there, there's uh, risks uh, to screening and, and then there's benefits to screening. Um, going back to the prostate, what, what good does the prostate do? Well, the prostate um, basically adds some of the fluid that makes up your semen, you know. And so... Um, it's somewhat important for men. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's nice. Nice yeah, to have nice that. Nice to have. And, uh, and like we were saying, it naturally can get, can get bigger over time. And that doesn't necessarily mean you have cancer. That's an enlarged prostate. Um, what would cause it to enlarge if it isn't cancer? Just natural? Just kind of natural. Okay. Yep. We call that benign prostatic hypertrophy, um, BPH. And, and there are medications that can be used to help shrink the prostate. And because your, your urine flows right through it, and so sometimes when it's enlarged, it squeezes and makes it harder to go, 
harder to start to go, harder to empty your bladder completely, and the medication can help with that. But one thing that the, the prostate does is it gives off this, uh, this protein uh, called the, the, the PSA, the prostate-specific antigen. And uh, that can naturally increase as you get older too. But if you do have some cancer cells in there, oftentimes that PSA becomes even higher. So that's the blood test that we can do to screen for prostate cancer. So when you do a PSA, you're really doing a blood test? Correct. Now, you know, if you come in the doctor and, and, and uh, they do a pr uh, digital rectal exam with their finger through the anus, they can feel the prostate. And that's another way you can feel if the prostate's enlarged, if it feels irregular, maybe concerning that there could be a cancer. That's another way to check for that. Um, and, and that also is a, a method that we're kind of getting more away from too, not just f due to discomfort, but because it's just not a very specific test. There've been quite a few changes in, um, determining prostate PSA tests in the past, I'd say five or 10 years. Yeah. You know, for years you heard every man should get it. Right. If you have it, you have to have this surgery. That's all changed in the past few years. And why has that changed? They've been doing more studies and they're finding that these tests uh, aren't always as useful as we thought they would be. You know, ideally if we were screening everyone, um, then, you know, maybe fewer people would get it and fewer people would die, but we're just not seeing that, that benefit that we thought we'd be seeing. Okay. Now, there's a, a lot of gray area in there, um, and that's one reason I wanted to talk about it, to kind of hash that out. So, so let's, let's take, take a step back and realize how common prostate cancer is. Um, basically, one in six men in their lifetime will get prostate cancer. That's pretty common. About 16, over 16%. Um, but the mortality rate from prostate cancer is not even 3%. So it's the most common cancer for men, um, but it's, it ranks second for, for mortality for, for causing death in men behind lung cancer. You know, and obviously for lung cancer, the best thing is to, to not start smoking, but other people can get lung cancer too. Um, so... So with the prostate, it's so common. If we were to do an autopsy on all 50-year-olds, 30% uh, of them actually would have prostate cancer in there. But they didn't die They didn't from know it. They didn't die from it. It wasn't an issue. They died from something else. Yeah. Right. Okay. It, when we look at 70-year-olds, about 60% of them would have it found on autopsy. But it, you know, wasn't causing many issues. In fact, those that get diagnosed with prostate cancer... And if they do nothing about it, 80 to 85% won't have any symptoms after 15 years. Wow. So, you, you know, you could go to 75 without ever having a symptom or 65, and my math was off, 65 right. without having yeah. a symptom. So, with, that said, with that said, then? I don't yeah. want to ignore the fact that prostate cancer is devastating and can be become very, you know, it can spread and become very serious and does cause death. And I've had patients and, 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 and it's, it's, it's a sad deal. And so then a person's like, well, I want to do everything that I can if I find out I have prostate cancer. And that makes sense. But thankfully, 
only about 15% of those cancers are the, are the bad kind. The other kind are just so slow growing, they probably won't cause any issue. Have we been able to find a way w to know which is the slow growing and which is the fast growing? We're still working on it. Oh, okay. It'd yeah. be nice if we knew that. You know, they're <laughs> working on genetic tests. They have found a couple genes that are linked with the bad kind, um, but the, they're still working on that. It's not really shown to be helpful in the clinical setting as much yet. Okay. Um, and they have, they have free PSA and other forms of PSA that they test that they're kind of working on too. And all that information can be used to kind of decide if you want to do a biopsy. Because let's say you, you see your doctor and you have the PSA and it's high. You know, maybe it's over four, maybe it's even over 10 or whatever. There's, there's different cutoffs that you could consider to decide, okay, now it's time to see a urologist to think about having a biopsy. If you have a biopsy, there are some risks with that. I mean, you know, there's pain and discomfort. There could be some bleeding, small risk, you know, of infection or maybe even needing a hospitalization. Thankfully, the long-term risks of having a biopsy aren't so bad. You know, I mean, it, it's low, the long-term risks. But, you know, since prostate cancer is so common, there's a decent chance they'd find cancer. About at least 25% of people with an elevated PSA They'd find cancer they in find there. They'd find cancer. Yeah. You know, so other, you other reasons I that can cause an enlarged P uh, high PSA is uh, uh, prostatitis, infection of the prostate. Um, ejaculation, if they've had sex lately, can actually increase the prostate. If they've been riding horse, things like that could, could elevate it, too. That's what I was wondering, what would cause it to elevate if it weren't cancer, and those are the causes, huh? Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. I think we're going to take our next break, but uh, we hope you continue listening, learning out more about prostate cancer. Hi, welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. We're happy to have you listening today. Today, we have as our guest with Dr. Holmes' absence, uh, Andrew Ellsworth, who is a medical doctor with the Avira Medical Group Brookings. And Dr. Ellsworth is very interested in talking about prostate cancer today. Uh, I do know, I, I wasn't aware of the controversy involved in this screening until you mentioned that you wanted to talk about this. I looked it up. There is a lot of controversy. In your practice, I'm just curious, when do you decide who you give that PSA test to? How do you decide? When uh, someone comes in for their physical, I, you know, we're looking at their blood pressure, we're looking at their weight, we're looking at their medications, we're looking at their risk factors. Um, you know, certainly if someone has a family history of prostate cancer, you know, then we're going to consider that more. Um, you know, we're looking at everything, but one of those is also discussing, okay, do we want to do a PSA um, and to screen for prostate cancer? And, you know, a we can try to dive into the, some risks and benefits with doing it, but, you know, there's not always as much time as I'd like in the office to discuss it, which is why I kind of wanted to talk about it here. Well, good. Okay. Uh, you know, when do I decide? I, you know, I do leave that up to the patient because it's, it's their call. Um, most men, yeah, do get it done. And, you know, you say to yourself, well, there's there's really no risk to just having a blood test. I'm getting blood tests anyway. I'm, I'm checking their, their cholesterol and, and maybe some other tests too, screening for diabetes with the blood sugar. Um, These are all more screening tests yeah, now. And they're yeah. blood tests. Usually the screening are blood tests. But you do a, uh, a full screening, mm -hmm. so it would be very easy to add the PSA right. blood test to it. Right. And, you know, you could definitely argue there's not, not much harm done. It's, pretty, it's a cheap test, really. Um, but, 
if it's high, then you have to consider, okay, if I'm going to have that biopsy, and then yeah, so then and see the urologist. Now it is something that can be watched. Uh, you know, we can just watch it and see how the, where the PSA trends, if it's increasing or decreasing or staying about the same. And that's one benefit to having one done every year or every other year is you can see if and when it's increasing or how fast it's increasing. And that can be a little helpful too sometimes. Um, and then if you have a biopsy done and, and you, you are found to have prostate cancer, you know, once again, I want to make the point that it's not a death sentence. You know, there's a good chance this may not cause you any problems. Um, but, but then again, in the back of your mind, you know, you've got cancer. The word is cancer. Right. That's all you have right. to hear. And, and, uh, and so, you know, there's a few options of treatment. You could have it surgically removed with surgery, a prostatectomy, um, where they remove the prostate. You could have uh, radiation done. Um, they have these little, also another option is these little seeds that they implant that give off radiation to help kill the cancer just right there. And those are, are fine options and, and, and very common. About 90% of men actually usually do something about the cancer if they find out they have it. But um, at least 50% of those men will end up with impotence and erectile dysfunction. Which is not a good outcome. No, I mean, yeah, no, yeah. it's, you know, it's, 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 but it's, it's about a co coin flip that that'll happen. So that's, and that affects your life. Um, and at least 20% will probably have urinary incontinence too, where they might leak urine and have to wear, you know, some sort of pads or diapers or something. To protect, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. This is not sounding good. No, What's yeah. the positive on this? So. <laughs> The the positive is 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 that that thankfully a lot of times it's it's a cancer that we maybe don't have to do anything and that we can just watch and there's a lot of men that that you know they may find out they have cancer and they decide to um, just watch it and maybe get checked again another biopsy in a year or two or you know and keep monitoring the PSAs and I just want to make sure that that people are aware is that that's an option um, and uh, and and the other positives are, are that we're working on it you know we're doing more research there's there's promising things like I said with the genetic tests so well dr. Ellsworth you we mentioned at the outset of this discussion that maybe 10 years ago you didn't give these options you just said oh you have prostate cancer Right. Go to urologist. The urologist will recommend surgery, and you have the surgery. So mm -hmm. you didn't have much choice, and you ended up with no cancer but some negative outcomes. Yeah. Now you want to point out the fact that men do have an option. Right. Even if you have prostate cancer, you don't have to have yeah. you know, work done immediately. I was talking with my wife about it, and she kind of felt like, you know, boy, if, if, if I found out my dad had cancer, I'd tell him to do everything he can about it. But... You know, maybe that's not always the the best solution. It's a fine solution, and boy, then you know, then you wouldn't have to worry about it anymore. You right. know, um, and so that's why most men are getting screened, and most men are still having surgery or having radiation, and that's working. You know, but it we have to screen about a thousand men uh, to and treat all those people that we find with cancer 
to save one person from prostate from dying of prostate cancer. Um, and that's from some studies that found that other studies didn't find any benefit from doing it. And that's kind of why in 2011, the United States Preventative Services Task Force made the recommendation not to screen. Now, other organizations like the American Cancer Society, the American Neurological Association decided, okay, well, really, you should just talk to your doctor and kind of decide together. Um, and, and that's why we're here talking about it. Okay, so if a, if a gentleman is screened, he, his numbers are, what are the, tell us the numbers again that we're looking at in PSA. You know, generally we think of zero to four as normal. Okay, if he has a six, mm-hmm. would you, and he doesn't really want to go any further, would you mm-hmm. say, I'll see you in a year, and we'll see if it's still at six, or what would you suggest? Yeah, that'd be a fine, fine option. And say, you know, should we check, Could depend on if I have a, a test from the year before to compare to, if it's risen much you know, or hasn't changed much is going to depend on what I do. If we maybe check it again in six months or a year. And how high would it be before you'd be really worried? Certainly if it's over 10. Over 10, you definitely would suggest a urologist. Most of the time over, you know, four or five or six, I'm sending them to your urologist so they can sit down with them and have that conversation. Okay. But remember that a urologist is a surgeon and that's what they do. And, and this is a $3 billion industry, the that, PSA that kind of sca- You know, medicine, when I was a kid, you just did what the doctor told you. It wasn't your choice. You had no choices. And that was really easy on the patient. Now we've reached the age where we have to make all these choices. Yeah. You've made it very difficult on us. But, you know, that's the benefit of having a family doctor. It who is. Who you know and who you trust. And that, you know, is... Uh, willing to say, you know, I think you should do this, or maybe maybe you don't need to do this. Yeah. So trust your family doctor. If you don't trust your family doctor, find a new one, but trust your family doctor. We're going to take a break. We'll be back right after these words. Hi, welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I really enjoyed this discussion with Dr. Andrew Ellsworth, who is a family practice physician with the Avira Medical Group Brookings. Dr. Holm will be back next week, I think, but we're very happy to have Dr. Ellsworth here because he wanted to discuss prostate cancer. I really, I mentioned this to my daughter. I was just visiting my daughter in Boston. Just got back yesterday. Great time there, but I said, we're going to talk about prostate cancer. You know, there's a lot of discussion that people shouldn't have the screening. She said, well, what's wrong with that man? I said, what do you mean? She said, well, everyone has to have the screening. And I said, that's the concept that some of us have. We don't know there's a change going on. And there really is a change because of research. Doctors have found that the prostate screening is somewhat questionable now. Well, you know, what we recommend, we want to have evidence behind. And when we're finding if the evidence doesn't show that it helps, we're deciding it's not worth the time, it's not worth the cost. Um, with that said, I know there's people listening that were screened with their PSAs, had a biopsy, were found to have cancer, had it removed, and feel like it saved their life. And that certainly could be true. Certainly. But you just don't know for sure. Right. That's the problem. Well, you know, yeah. I'm thinking, I'm married to an older gentleman. Somehow that happened. He got <laughs> a little older. <laughs> but anyone in their 70s or 80s, do they keep scre- screening them, or you just figure, oh, I couldn't kill them now? When well, do you decide? I don't know how, how far down he robbed the cradle, Joan, for, <laughs> with you. But uh, uh, Thanks a uh, lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, 
the general recommendation is to discontinue at age 70, 75. Um, now in South Dakota, we've got some, a lot of nice men that live a long time. Very long That time. are nice and healthy. And there's certainly some of those that I would continue screening in if that's what they wanted okay. to do. Um, and of course, anyone if they wanted to. But generally, we recommend discontinuing screening really for any type of screening if a person's life expectancy is, is less than 10 to 15 years. You less than 10 years, especially in prostate cancer, maybe 10 to 15 years, because okay. really in 15 years, even if you had a cancer now that we've detected, chances are it wouldn't affect you in Something else years. is going to get you, yeah. right? not the cancer. Yeah. Uh, very interesting subject, interesting discussion. These screenings are um, fascinating to me. For one thing, I had thought when I reached a certain age, I didn't need to do a mammography anymore. And uh, Dr. Johnston last week really laid it on me, oh, and okay. she said, you know what? The older you get, the more likely you are to have breast cancer. Yes. I had no idea. Yeah. And I'm, I don't know if you want to address that, too. Well, yeah, and and the and that's true for the prostate cancer too. Is as you the the percentages increase as we get older. Um, the only difference is goes back down to that main point that prostate cancer is often slow growing and may not cause any problems, whereas the treatment for it has a higher chance of causing problems. But in mem it, for women for women. It, that'd be a different story. I mean, you know, if you had a mastectomy and had the breast removed, granted there is, you know, some consequences or, you know, side effects from that. But then again, you know, you have it removed, you don't have to worry about it anymore. It's overall and, much more you know, beneficial, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, we pretty well covered that discussion on prostate cancer. Let's, have we? Let's recap it. Let's recap it. Okay. We Prost can do that. Prostate cancer is, is very common. We can screen for it with, with a PSA blood test. Uh, the test isn't perfect. It doesn't catch all cancers. It, even if it's high, doesn't mean you do have cancer. Um, the cancer is often slow growing, but 15% of the time it can be fast growing and, 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 and bad. Uh, the treatment options are surgery and radiation. Those can cause impotence or urinary incontinence. 50% of the time impotence, 20% of the time urinary incontinence, but, but then, it, then the cancer's gone, you don't have to worry about it. However, 80 to 85% of people, if they decide not to do anything about their prostate cancer, won't have any problems from it in 15 years. That's amazing. Quite a recap of this subject. You know, even though you recapped, we have a few more minutes, and That's we did fine. have one Sounds woman. Sounds good. I don't know if it was a man or woman, but called in with a question about uh, vitamin D. Wanted to know what's what do you think is the correct amount of vitamin D to take every day, and do you think a multivitamin is good or separate vitamins are better? She didn't give an age, so I can't give you that. Generally, a thousand to two thousand international units a day, probably as a separate vitamin. Granted, uh, you could get by with at least taking a multivitamin. You could see how much is in there. It might have about eight hundred, perhaps only four hundred in there, and that might be all right too. If you're concerned about, we do we can check a blood level of the vitamin D. It is amazing the number of things that vitamin D seems to affect, um, and has been linked with, including some some cancers, um, multiple sclerosis. Um, and just kind of your energy and fatigue, not to mention it's good for your bones. So certainly uh, any wom woman uh, past menopause should be taking calcium and vitamin D. Um, 
I see from the question, they were also wondering about seasonal affective disorder, and that's going to be an issue this time of year when it's dark so long. Um, and so the vitamin D might benefit that? It might benefit that, that yeah. Uh, even more so as far as for that would be uh, getting some, some light if you can. And you can even buy lights that you can set up at your desk that, that shine at you and, and that can help brighten your day. Which all sounds very good and be very helpful. So as far as, I know Dr. Holm is a big advocate of vitamin D. Yeah. Because they, in the past few years, they've shown so many different diseases that can mm -hmm. come about because mm -hmm. of a lack of vitamin D. Mm -hmm. And there's no way for us to know there's a lack without a screening, right? Yeah. Back yeah. to screenings. Right. And, and you know, it, some end up needing 50,000 international units in prescription strength vitamin D. And, and so that's where that blood test can help decide if we perhaps need to do that. But Okay. Very good. Yeah. yeah. Kelsey, do you have anything you'd like to add? What, what are you planning, what, what year are you, what are you planning going into? I am a fourth year medical student and I am just finishing up my interviews for general surgery. So I'll be entering the surgery field. Oh, a surgeon. Well, <laughs> that's very interesting. Do you have any idea which surgery or what specialty? I'd like to specialty? go into pediatric surgery, so for oh. children, but uh, you got to get through general surgery first. So True. Okay. Set my sights on that first. How many places did you apply for? Ooh, I applied to over 40, and um, I interviewed at 15, so. Have you been chosen yet, or does that come up soon? All in, in March, there's a big match day where all the fourth-year medical students across the nation find out where they will be placed for residency. Right. It's an exciting time. It truly is. Bob? Do you like the smell of formaldehyde yet? Well, just nothing like formaldehyde <laughs> in the morning with I a know. cup of coffee. Yeah, <laughs> I know. That's right. Yep. Uh, that nurse shark and uh, pig embryo, whatever, that you have to start off with, right? That's Anatomy right. and Physiology 101. <laughs> yeah. Wish you the best of luck, though. Thank you very much. Well, while Kelsey was talking, we had another caller with a question and wanted to know, how do you deal with frostbite? Totally different subject, but it is getting cold out here. If somebody has frostbite, how do you deal with that? Um, the, the bottom line uh, with frostbite is, is prevention and, and, and wearing, you know, gloves and trying to stay warm in the first place. Um, as far as dealing with it, um, you know, get, get your hands warmed uh, and, and, and see if it looks like that there's good blood flow to the end of your fingers or whatever's frost bit. If you push on it, and it be, turns white and turns red again, that looks like it's probably getting some good blood flow. If not, then you probably better come into the doctor and have it looked at. Okay, and if your kids come in, you know, you've had gloves on them, yeah. but they come in and their fingers are, they say they hurt, then just keep rubbing it to keep them yeah, warm. Is keep that what you warm. suggest? Yeah. Okay, and they, they should be okay. Kids are pretty yeah. tough. Yeah, yeah, they do. You probably don't run into that too much because people are so aware of it that they pretty well take care of their kids right. and themselves and they know what to do. Yeah. Well, this has been really interesting, Dr. Ellsworth. We're so happy to have you with us today. We are running out of time, but we hope you've enjoyed our Prairie Doc radio program. As always, you can hear more from Dr. Holm online at prairiedoc.org, where you may also learn more about the exciting activities of the Healing Words Foundation. Tomorrow evening at 7 o'clock on South Dakota Public Television, on call with the Prairie Doc, we'll discuss how to deal with congestion. This live program will be hosted by Dr. Holmes' good friend and fellow physician, Dr. Tom Luzier of the Aberdeen Asthma and Allergy Clinic. My thanks to you, Dr. Ellsworth, for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Joan. Okay, and thanks to all of you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio. 
I'll close with Dr. Holmes' weekly reminder. Stay healthy out there, people. <laughs>